Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gate, ready to go. OutKick 360 underway from 6th and Peabody with Yaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine with Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Paul Koharski's waking up somewhere, at least I think he's waking up on the West Coast. We hope he's waking In Vegas. If not, he's had a long night slash morning, and the winnings are pouring in. Same here, pouring in uh, to 6th and Peabody on the Friday edition. Clark Lee, head coach of the Vanderbilt Commodores, will be in studio with us in 20 minutes. Looking forward to chatting with him. We have Bobby Carpenter of SiriusXM and Carp's Corner. Uh, Bobby joins us each and every Friday. That will be in about an hour and 15 minutes from now. He chatted with Nick Saban yesterday. Uh, as Nick Saban, number one, shocked me and apologized and then doubled down on his, uh, tripled down on his thoughts on name, image, likeness. We'll get uh, Bobby's take on that interview. Brent Hubbs of VolQuest.com today. He will be on the show in uh, the final hour to kick off the final hour. A lot to discuss with Brent and Kayla Kinnearum of Outkick.com previewing all the sports headlines this weekend. Chad, good afternoon. Hutton, we made it. And we were close to the finish line. End of the week. Beautiful weekend on deck. Beautiful setting here at 6th and Peabody. This place is packed. It is slammed. Corey Taylor said, it's that time of year. When we look outside, it is that time of year. More people are flooding Nashville and other destination cities. People are out and about. We are ready to go. Big summer ahead. I'm excited. And Hutton, I'm I'm at OutKick.com, and I'm seeing the story and watching the video of Charles Barkley responding to the hecklers in San Francisco at the Warriors game. And just thinking to myself, man, I'd love to have the audacity to respond to someone that way that I don't know, <laughs> the way Charles Barkley did. But it takes years and years of greatness that Charles Barkley's put forth to be able to do that. I'm not there yet, but maybe one day. Maybe one day. Um, another NBA playoff game, another game not worth watching last night between Boston and Miami. A uh, game played in the 60s. The other team played in the 20s. For quite some time. Again, I'm just following on Twitter. I didn't even bother flipping over. I'm looking for a reason to watch the NBA playoffs. They're not giving me one right now. Blowout city. Hopefully tonight with Golden State and Dallas, it's a bit different. Well, it's, it's, it's unwatchable. It's frustrating because, I mean, look, it, there's a lot of games over the course of all spring and summer for the playoffs, and people can point back and say, well, Memphis came back in Minnesota down by a lot and came back in one, and that was compelling. Well, there were three games in the middle of that Buck-Celtic series that were compelling. But far too often throughout these playoffs, someone gets out to a big lead and it's over. The other team folds up shop. There's no real run in the game. And it's like you're already mentally preparing for the next game in the series. And you have given up in that game. Well, didn't look so good in this one. The ultimate example of that was the Warriors in Memphis when they went back to San Francisco and closed it out where they just got drilled with a Ja Morantless, by a Ja Morantless Grizzlies team. And other times, like last night, Celtics 
go on a run, get out to a lead, and it was just over. I never had the sense that Miami was going to do anything to come back in that game. The NBA does not need that, and we've seen it way too much so far. Uh, Tiger, Rory, and Jordan Spieth uh, getting set to get their second rounds started down at Southern Hills in Tulsa for the PGA Championship. Uh, updated leaderboard right now. Justin Thomas posted the best round of the morning uh, for round number two, and he currently has a one-shot lead. He's six under uh, for the tournament and three under for the day and, and leads this tournament after a 67 in the second round. So he's got a one-shot lead over uh, Roy McIlroy, who, who led everything after 18 holes. Um, it'd be a, a great major win for Justin Thomas as uh, he's trying to position himself to be in that contention, and he has, going into the weekend. Will Zalatoris, uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick, and others are right there within reach as well. They have not teed off. Same for Rory McIlroy, who tees off in roughly 20 minutes. Now, Rory, it looks like Rory's through one now. I just refreshed the, the leaderboard. Will Zalatoris also threw one. He's one under, so he's at five under now in the day, tied with Roy McIlroy for second who's even par through one hole today. So uh, Zalatoris threw two holes, McElroy threw one, and that's where we are right now with Zalatoris and McElroy tied at five under. Justin Thomas, as you mentioned, had a great day at six under par. Uh, was thinking, you know, maybe Scotty Scheffler makes a run today with his great play. Haven't really seen that yet. So going to be fun to follow this throughout the late afternoon. That This is when a lot of the heavy hitters are taking the golf course right about now so we can follow their progression throughout the late afternoon and see what happens as this leaderboard shakes up today uh bad morning for sage Steele of espn who was hitting the head with a golf ball on a, on the tee shot that went errant by uh, john rom and uh had to leave the pga championship um man did you uh do you see the story i've not seen it yet the the errant shot that hit her in the nose mouth and chin area Ooh. And the reports were she was covered in blood, um, but was able to walk off under her own power. But uh, the the tee shot went 281 yards and was going 181 miles per hour. And you have Rom yelling four left, and then you know it hit Sage Steele. I'm surprised this doesn't happen more often, honestly. Yeah, I, I'm always we see it oftentimes off the bounce. You know, where there's the galleries right there, and they could be even over into a gallery, but it always bounce up and hit well, someone on the left. Yeah, but you, always see, but you always see in the air, it goes through trees and stuff. I'm just surprised we don't see more go through the limbs and still end up hitting people that have this type of result. Like, this is the, the worst case. That yeah. sucks. Yes. Uh, and also the news, uh, another story up at Outkick, Kelsey Wingert, former Braves sideline reporter, now with the Rockies, got hit by a foul ball. Uh, and was recovering in the hospital also from that. So bad time for reporters out in the field uh, covering sports. Uh, you got to keep your head on a swivel. And that's but, happened multiple hey, times to her, right? You know, people can say, look, you got to look alive if you're at uh, a game of any kind, but there are times when you're covering a sporting event, you can't. Oh, you're in the middle of it. Well, you're turned. You know, you're facing your camera person getting ready for a live shot. You're doing something different. It's not as if... You're watching the action at all times. Oh, you can be watching. Trust me, you can be watching the action and still be in the middle of it and not have time to get out of the way. Um, yeah, and tell your story about how you Delaney got hit Walker one time. Uh, trucked me uh, on the sidelines with the Tennessee Titans back in 2016 or 2017. Um, they ran an out pattern, and right at the first down sticks, uh, or uh, two yards past the first down sticks, 
um, catches the pass, and I'm right there in the wake of Delaney running out of bounds, and I'm thinking, okay, I can move left or right, but then I there's tons of people on the NFL sideline, um, at least at the time there was, and if you choose to go one way or the other, he's making a determination on which way he's going to go, and instead he didn't move, I didn't move, um, and I was left on the ground. Hopped right back up, uh, small bruise. The only thing broken was my pencil in my back pocket. Good to go. You bounced up like you were on a trampoline. It was an impressive bounce back. I mean, the getting hit didn't look all that impressive, but the way that you shouldered the blow and then hit the ground and hopped up so quick, it was like you went back on a trampoline and bounced right back up. And you were laughing immediately. Delaney was well, saying something we to you and helping you chat. up, and you were, uh, yeah, you we were, were laughing. Chat. I didn't bounce back right back up. It was uh, He helped me up um, by grabbing my arm and pulling me up, and I was laughing at what he had to say on the way, uh, on the way back to my feet, which was uh, something I'll let him tell if he, if he wants to um, if the next time we can have Delaney on, which will be hopefully sooner rather yeah, than we gotta later. we got to get him on the show. Because he's back in. He's now, he's now drag racing cars. Um, well, he, he travels around the southeast, uh, across the country, really, because he does this with boats, too, um, where he's drag racing boats and, and old-school, like, muscle cars. And I want to – I've got some, some feelers out about doing a little tag-along with him without kick. Yeah, he uh, was telling us, too, it's amazing, you know, some of these, and I'd love to see that uh, for OutKick with you with him, but some of these small towns you roll up into and that community of racers that are in these towns, and then here's – Former NFL tight end Delaney Walker rolling in uh, with his setup. It and it's, like, it's funny the interaction you'll see with everyone. Yeah, I mean, it's, it reminds me of the, it was the Discovery Channel or History Channel show um, years ago that had like the back, backwoods racing where you pull up and you, you, know, you have your entry fee and you go at it and then there's fights afterwards. I'm not sure anyone wants to fight Delaney. But, um, right. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, it's like cockfighting, but with racing, yes, but with yes. cars. That's exactly. essentially what we're talking about. Yeah. It's the same community and culture right. and setup, and there's a lot of fights that happen around it just with automobiles. Uh, so so state, Sage Steele hit by a golf ball, the PGA Championship, PK in Vegas. Uh, coming up a bit later, we will uh, chat with Brent Hubbs of VolQuest. One of, the, one of the things, aside from just the NIL and the back and forth with what we saw yesterday with Saban and with Jimbo. I'm going to get into the details of the whole BYU buyout where they're going to pay $2 million on the tickets sold, the first $2 million on the tickets sold in 2023 uh, at the Tennessee-Virginia game to BYU in exchange for getting them off the off the schedule. Well, I want to know behind the scenes what took place there. And uh, interesting, and I know that Brent wrote about this, or that someone at VolQuest wrote about it, but I want to ask him about the silence from BYU on this. They've not released a single statement about it, haven't said anything, and in doing some digging, I think they found out BYU also wanted out of this because that's the year they start in the Big 12 and they go to Arkansas the next week. So Tennessee actually cutting BYU a break, something they wanted off their schedule anyways, and they're paying them a ton of money. Well, I mentioned, ticket revenue for Yeah, them. but I mentioned on, whenever this story was out, was it Monday or Tuesday of this week, I said you know, that's the year that they're going to the Big 12 – but that can't be the reason why they're getting paid $2 million to take Tennessee off. Uh, th- this is all about them, Tennessee, wanting to play here in Nashville is where the game's going to be. Oh, it's not. Instead of going to BYU. No, again, it's, it's one of those situations where it's 
B, this is a great win for BYU. Oh, it just worked the, out. Deep down, they didn't want it either, but because they weren't the ones that presented the out to them, Tennessee did because they found another game, and they're the ones who did it. It's Tennessee that has to buy it out. So BYU getting paid for something they probably didn't want to play anyways. They're not going to publicly say that, and they don't have to, but the fact they haven't publicly come out and said, yeah. well, we're disappointed you know, about this. We're really looking forward to that game. They haven't said anything because – Many think around BYU, they really secretly wanted out of this game anyways with Tennessee. Man, that's a steep price tag then on the $2 million. But, I mean, so 2023 now, you know, Tennessee was going to open in Provo, Utah against BYU, breaking in a new quarterback and a lot of new players. I don't think that it's some big break that you're going to open against Virginia in Nashville. I mean, if you really wanted to ease into a season, you'd buy out BYU and play some no-name in Knoxville to open the season with a new quarterback. This is, this is a – they like their partnership with the city of Nashville. They like playing a neutral site game here in Nashville. It opened up in Virginia's schedule where they could do it. Nashville was wanting them to do it, the sports council here in town, and they found an opportunity and went ahead and went forward with it. I'm just curious about what money is to be made with it. If you're giving BYU the first $2 million yes. and then you're splitting the revenue, you, after the $2 million's up, you owe five hundred grand to the Metro Sports Council on tickets sold. So after the first two and a half million, then whatever else you're making off of the the tickets, you're splitting with Virginia. So I'm, I'm curious, just from a monetary sake, and we'll, we'll ask Brent about this. What's to be gained by making the change when you're still going to, in essence, you wouldn't be owing two million dollars if you went on the road and played BYU. Well, it's one of those Hutton. When I see moves like this, I think don't come back later and cry poor right. to me or anyone else about something. Oh, we can't add the new clubhouse, the baseball stadium, because we just need more donations and we're out of money now. Yeah. Or the women's soccer program can't get new locker rooms or the new field that we promised them because, oh, we need your donations now. We need more money. Because I then come back and say, you just paid a ton of money to get out of a good game that all of your fans were looking forward to that you didn't have to get out of. You could have saved that money and then built something nice on campus. So... Look, if you've got the money and you can do it and you can show where you're going to break even or come close to it and get a bonus game in Nashville to neutral site against a, a Power 5 opponent like Virginia, it's like they're getting a bad matchup well, out not, of this out, they're not as gaining, opposed to BYU. They're not gaining a national TV game. Tennessee and the SEC had the rights to that game to begin with against BYU. They retain that by scheduling Virginia. So it's not like they're on a better network because of scheduling this game. That was already determined based on the contract they had by going on the road against BYU. So I don't know, other than just, like Chad's saying, scheduling a game that's played in Nashville, which is great. I mean, it's, it's great for us. It's great for the, the, the fan who wants to go watch your team play. I don't, I don't know monetarily, business-wise, how it makes sense for the University of Tennessee. Yeah, it, it, one of two things. First off, do not, absolutely do not cry poor later when you make right. a move like this if you're Danny White. But it's, it's one of two things. Either you're going to show where you're going to break even or how it's monetarily beneficial in the long run, or you're basically just saying, hey, my coach didn't want to play that game and he wants to play this game and I'm doing what my coach wants. But Hutton, I'm not buying that because I don't think Josh Heupel is saying, hey, from a competitive standpoint, let's buy out of that game against BYU and now play Virginia away from home. Right. If you do that, you're playing North Carolina A&T in Knoxville on a Thursday night to open the season. So I'm not buying that one. One of the headlines you'll see across the NFL today is there are two teams, according to The Athletic, that remain interested in Baker Mayfield. 
When you click that headline, I'll go ahead and let you know it's not worth clicking on because it's no real update on this story. It still remains Panthers-Seahawks as the two teams that remain interested in Baker Mayfield as of 3.15 Eastern on Friday, May 20th, just as I could have said that on April 20th at 3.15 Eastern. Same two teams, and it comes down to how much the Cleveland Browns are going to pay of the $18 million contract that Baker Mayfield is scheduled to earn. Those two teams are saying, well, you're going to cut him anyway if you end up keeping him around by the time training camp gets here because you don't want him to show up and get hurt, and then he's a value less to you on the trade market. Um, Chad, it's interesting, though, because I wouldn't want to have him on the open market to then have to bid against Carolina if I'm Seattle or have to bid against Seattle if I'm Carolina. I'd rather trade a low-round pick and see if, if Cleveland picks up 50%, 60%, 70%. Peter King said a couple of weeks ago he could see them picking up 90% if they wanted to move him after the draft. I'm with you. I think trading is the move if you're the trade partner and the team that's interested in Baker Mayfield. I'll also say that I'm surprised there's not a New York Giants out there that's in a situation where yeah. you've got a quarterback entering a prove-it year and an expiring contract that it's similar to what the Titans did with Ryan Tannehill and Marcus Mariota. You bring in a guy who started that's proven to some extent that can push that starter. That's a great backup plan. And what's the worst-case scenario? You know, let's say in New York, yeah. Daniel Jones disappoints. Baker Mayfield comes in, also disappoints. But what if Baker Mayfield's good Baker Mayfield with the Giants? Well, Cleveland's then you problem got something. there is the Giants signed Terod Taylor this offseason to back up Daniel Jones. And they're just going to roll it with Daniel Jones and have him have a, a, a make it or prove it year. It'd be no different than it, I, I, it's not like to me, it's different than Tannehill Mariota, where I think the Giants want to give Daniel Jones every opportunity, right? Yeah. And six weeks in and one road trip to Denver that was abysmal for Mariota. He was out. He's done. He's done going into the fourth quarter of week six. Um, I don't know. I, I, it, it, this feels a bit different with Daniel Jones, but I, I'm with you. They didn't. I mean, they they didn't pick up the fifth year, you know, and they they're not extending. It's. I, I don't buy. It. There's just two options. I, it may not be the there Giants, be, I, but no, I feel like right. there's there'll someone out there team. that's going to surprise us. Well, but that's why I wouldn't want him to get to the open market. I wouldn't want him to be a free agent because you don't want to bid against like someone Odell else. Beckham Jr. Right. You know the the Browns. You are, don't want to know who that mystery team is right. if you want him. Coming up, Clark Lee will join us in studio. The Vanderbilt head coach joins us at 6th and Peabody. We talk SEC headlines next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Glad you're with us, Friday edition. Great to have Clark Lee head coach of the Vanderbilt Commodores in studio with us. Uh, not his first time here at 6th and Peabody, our location, uh, but first time in studio indoors with us uh, from the, the fall with the, the tailgate tour that we had outside. 
Um, and quite frankly, Chad, Vanderbilt said, hey, um, Jimbo's not the only one that would like to respond to Nick Saban. <laughs> that's Mark, right, yeah, yeah. That's, Mark uh, Lee we, would like uh, some time on your uh, show today. This is actually his 10-minute press conference that he requested. <laughs> so uh, our crew uh, here is going to ask him a few questions. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Yeah. Coach, what's up, man? Well, I, I got to tell you, it's two, almost 2.30 on a Friday afternoon in, uh, what, early summer Nashville. I got to get out more. It's not it's bad, right? down here. Yeah. And I, unfortunately, don't have a lot of time. Me and Mike are going to catch the next party bus. It's, uh, <laughs> departing here from the portal. So They uh, depart every three minutes. So you've got time. <laughs> so we got time. So all right, however all right, long well, let me we relax, keep you, then. that's always a three-minute window. You can get right back on the party I bus. I was telling Mike I wish I would have just canceled my afternoon schedule <laughs> so I could, we could really hang out then. But Is uh, this like the last – stretch of spring evaluation and recruiting before and then you go into memorial day weekend and then it's kind of a lull's not the right word but you get kind of the chance to catch your breath well uh, i wish i mean we'll, we'll have some time but yeah. like uh, june, june becomes a um a grinder it, because you're it's you're preparing your team you're also running camps which for us is like a you know a lifeline in recruiting and we, we got to do a great job with in-person evaluation and and then now we're also, you know, hosting official visits too. So we'll we'll uh, we'll get our money's worth in June, and then right about the end of the month, everyone will scatter shot around the country for some vacation. So the official visits. Uh, whenever you took the job, one thing that we talked about at the time was, man, Coach Lee is really getting it back to the basics, the bare bones of what Vanderbilt was when he was playing there, what he wants it to be moving forward. But on the official visits, you do have to crank it up a notch, right? Uh, to to kind of show not just the university and the city, but you do have to show off some bells and whistles that maybe you were trying to take away, not take away, but get more focus uh, away from the bells and whistles with the program. Am I trying yeah. to blend the two? No, I, I I get where you're what you're saying, and I, I think um, we've been very intentional about really starting from the foundation. So we want to focus on the things that are most important to our success. And I would say even maybe, you know, I'm not trying to replicate the program as it was when I was there. I'm trying to push it past right. and uh, get to sustained success. But certainly we want to put some shine on what we do. I mean, you know, top 15 school in the middle of the fastest growing city in the country and playing in the SEC, there's a lot to get excited about. And um, we get to showcase that when we have recruits on campus. And uh, we also have like really a lot of energy in our building. So, you know, good people and good positions that are energized for what we're doing. And I think when we have a chance to, to get recruits and their families around our people, it goes a long way. And um, obviously in short order, we want to have that done in a new facility that I think will even drive us um, to, to greater heights in that respect. So a lot of exciting things and certainly don't, you know, we, we, we acknowledge that to do anything uh, successful is shared sacrifice and suffering is a part of it. We can find joy and enthusiasm in that, but man, we want to have some fun. And uh, when we showcase our school, we want to we want to do it at the highest level. And that was that was not my intention on the question. I'm just I'm I'm looking at you want a certain logo, you want guys yeah. to look a certain way, uh, and that was noticeable when you first took over. No, and we we still want to stay true to that. And I think in recruiting too, I don't I don't deviate my message. I mean the 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 recruits know the coach they're going to get because I don't, I don't change um, my voice based off being a salesman. I, w I want them to really know what makes me tick, what makes our program tick, uh, because what, the worst thing that you can do is sell something that doesn't exist. We mm -hmm. want to be authentic to ourselves, and we want to make sure that they 
love football and love the process to be great in football. I mean, that's important. And so certainly we, 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 um, we don't overdo it, but we just think there's a lot of exciting things for us to put in front of them to say, this is why Vanderbilt's the best possible option for you. And, um, and uh, we get energized to do that. Fighting perception is a big part of the battle that with Vanderbilt football and what you're trying to create and overcome within that program. I'm curious, when you bring someone to campus, could be a kid locally where you've done very well in recruiting with some local kids, could be a kid from California that comes into Vanderbilt, what is their number one surprise about you, your staff, the campus, the program itself that you hear back and feedback from recruits and their families? Well, I think, you know, what the lead into the question is the perception, the perception versus the reality. I think once, you know, and, and you know, environment's a driver. I mean, you know, we have to create a culture and environment where, um, you know, I, I, I don't get in front of my team and question their dedication to football. I mean, I know what we're doing is hard and we're asking a lot of them. And so, you know, we have a, we have a group of guys that have chosen the, to do the hard things the right way that um that are in, that are falling in love with the process of becoming a good football team and so when when um people drop into that environment i think they're they're surprised by just how important football is to us um through and through and uh they see the energy and enthusiasm our players hold and they realize that reality is different than perception and you know um we've we've worked really hard to insulate our team to to really drive that idea of value and investment internally first and, um, and we love to, to open the doors up and let people see, you know, kind of what exists inside. Because w- what you come in contact with is something still in the early stages. Like, we, you know, we, we can't skip steps. Candace says that all the time. It's still, we're still early in on the climb here, but you recognize over time what's going to be. And it's, it's, it's exciting. You brought in three new scholarship quarterbacks uh, this offseason. You've got five scholarship quarterbacks. <laughs> inside of your program clearly competition is not an issue for you or the young men that have stayed within the program that are still there to battle it out with against four other scholarship quarterbacks what was the driver in the decision making for you to bring in that many guys and what do you feel like you have right now in that quarterback room well the driver is 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 the competition and it's just understanding that position is the the single most important um within the program and i don't think anyone would would argue with that and even you know I'm a defensive guy you know and to say that is <laughs> is uh take some courage but um so we we want to make sure that we we have competition within that position so that we can field the best possible quarterback and that position has to strengthen the other 10 players on offense and has to be a leader of your team and um we don't we don't want to make assumptions about anything and so um the 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 one of the core you know values of our program is to compete you know we want to earn it every day that's one of our covenants and so um you know these kids come in and they see opportunity they they get in touch with you know the direction of things the energy around the program they want to be a part of it and um and if they're if they're going to balk at you know the depth chart or the balk at the um the potential you know um competition that's going to take place then they probably don't fit what we're doing you know we want to we want to be true to what's going to take place the best player will play and um and we want guys that are attracted to that level of competition and and uh, that's what we've gotten and as far as you know what exists for us there um you know we have we have a couple of guys returning that have played a lot of football for us you know mike wright who uh, we think has you know dynamic skills 
um, as as a, as an athlete with the ball in his hands. He's got leadership capability, um, you know, and we've we've really pushed him to fine tune his his game as a as a true um, you know uh, multifaceted quarterback. Ken Seals has played a lot. had a had a great freshman year. Struggled with injury a little bit last year, but you know he's he's uh, he's got uh, meaningful snaps and snaps and meaningful games. And then AJ Swan this spring was a guy that came out and you know he, it was never too big for him. So we, we're excited about those three. The two coming in to join them, it'll be fun. And I know Joey Lynch is excited just to, to see how it all shakes out. So I've got a column coming out next Tuesday at Outkick.com, and in that column. I'm going to go into top five programs I think can go big and do big things in terms of a big jump, in part because of NIL and the NIL space and programs that can get creative with it. Spoiler alert, I've got Vanderbilt football at number one All right. on that list. And I'm, um, that. I, I'm curious, Coach, I know that you've got a lot of other things to worry about, but just in, in general, your thoughts on NIL how it can help student-athletes at a place like Vanderbilt in a market like Nashville with an alumni base as affluent like Vanderbilt's yeah. that could get involved. What do you make of the current landscape with all of it and some specific opportunities with Vanderbilt football? Yeah, we're, I mean, I'm excited about it. I think it's, um, you know, I, I, I think there's this, this reverence for what was, but the truth is you know, this is an incredible opportunity to, to improve quality of life for our student-athletes, to give them opportunity to – even just think about the education around earning off name image likeness and what that means and all the responsibility that comes with that, um, I think will be a great uh, part of their growth uh, in general. Um, and we understand too, you know, Vanderbilt's always going to be a little different. I mean, we, we feel like just at a baseline, our experience on our campus sets our players up to be competitive for the rest of their lives. So they're going to get skills within our program. Within our program, that's an education. On our campus, that's an education. They're going to get skills that they're going to apply for the rest of their lives. And I, I don't want it to be said that their greatest earning potential is between 18 and 22. I think we're not doing our job at Vanderbilt if that's the case. And yet, I want to make sure that we're, we're fighting for the experience of our players. And, um, and so what that means is rallying that Vanderbilt community around what the NIL space can be. I know um, we have some exciting things that are coming to fruition within our department because it's not just about football. Um, and then beyond that, it's you know tapping into this city and our alumni network that's going to allow for our best players to earn their market value. And, and to me, that's what it's all about. Um, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one that is very interested in making sure that we um, craft the future for our game. I don't want to I don't want to sit, sit back and just let things blow in the wind. I don't think that's the way to do this the right way. Um, I do think we need to continue to look for ways to protect our student-athletes too. But, man, am I excited about where this can go. And I think it's going to take um, a bunch of really um, you know, impactful people around tables to organize and figure out how we best serve the game, maintain the integrity of the game, but also enhance the experience for our players and give them opportunity uh, for a better quality of life. I know that from our friends at Dan Patrick show that Commissioner Sankey has put the gag order on talking about uh, Saban versus Jimbo Fisher. But I will ask you this, Coach, in regards to um, your stance on what you do with other programs and talking about other programs. Is it just simply, hey, Clark Lee's not going to mention other programs or talk about them or look into what they're doing? I mean, if you're asked about a rival or someone else, are you ever going to say anything? And how do you think most coaches you've been around would handle that in terms of 
not speaking of other programs. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> coaches are interesting people, right? I mean, I think that's part of the fun. I mean, I, I you know, I tend to think of my position less as as um, I'm not here for entertainment. I'm here to build an experience and a program that helps shape lives. And that's kind of what I step into every day. I'm here to represent Vanderbilt in a first-class manner, and I want to do that um, while I'm given this opportunity to the best of my ability. But, um, you know, I, th- I think for me, um, I, you know, I, I feel like, you know, we, we have to know what our competitors are doing. I don't know that there's any um, marketplace where you don't, you're not aware at least of what else is out there. And yet, I think we have to be true and authentic to what Vanderbilt is and what it offers. And so, what I want people to experience when they're on the couch with me in my office is, uh, man, this feels different. I mean, there's something different about this. It's not all uh, glitz and glamour. It's not all a sales pitch. There's something authentic because in the end, what I'm doing is convincing grandparents or parents or aunts and uncles or coaches that um, you can entrust me with the future of your child. And to me, that's still the responsibility of coach. And um, as far as, you know, commenting on other programs for me, um, I just have too much to talk about at Vanderbilt to spend too much energy doing that. And I think there, you know, that that always becomes a slippery slope. I have a ton of respect for the, certainly for the, the coaches and schools in our conference. And, you know, we, we got to keep rolling our sleeves up and swinging just to, just to get to where we're, you know, in the conversation. So I, I you know, I leave that um, outside. I focus on Vanderbilt. That's what I do. And, and I believe we have enough to talk about to, to not have to go anywhere else. Clark Lee, our guest head coach at uh, Vanderbilt. Uh, Chad, can you imagine if you took that question and said, by the way, I'd like to speak about Brian Kelly. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got a microphone in front of yeah, me, yeah. please. Let yeah. me talk about now my former Now that he's at LSU, boss. I'd like yeah, to right. uh, dig up some things here. Yeah. Um, the, the SEC spring meeting is going to be not your average spring meeting coming up. How intrigued as a head coach in the conference are you? Like, do you anticipate going down and being a fly on the wall? Or do you think, you know what, I'm going to make sure my voice is heard uh, if given the opportunity, when given the opportunity? How do you handle a situation like that when all eyes and ears are going to be on Commissioner Sankey wanting to make sure that opinions are heard as they move forward trying to find federal legislation on things? Yeah, I mean, Greg's a great leader, and one thing he mandates is that we all contribute. I mean, that's part of his... Um, you know, that's part of his leadership is he wants to hear everyone's voice. I feel like I'm, in, you know, I, I have a responsibility given, given uh, my, my role and my job and particularly in the SEC where we, you know, we have such impact or such ripple effect to what we do yes. nationwide. Yep. Um, what you guys do will end up being kind of the, the model. That's right. And so for me, um, you know, I, I want to I make sure that I contribute and I bring my perspective and it may be different. You know, I might have a different angle. Uh, it may not be uh, the angle that is is aligned with the rest of the group, but I I, I owe it uh, to Vanderbilt to my position, um, and and on a on a bigger sense, you know what I feel like is my legacy in coaching to speak up and to make sure that I'm heard and uh, do do the best I can right now. We're we're at a critical junction point for our uh, for our sport, you know, and I don't think anyone can can um, you know sit back on the sidelines and just let it happen again. We gotta we gotta lock horns at times. We gotta go at it. We gotta have you know, um, spirited conversations, but on the back end of our efforts, we're going to have an evolved game that's that's ready to sustain and thrive for a long time. I realize our, the, the next question here kind of it affects your scheduling future, uh, but I'm hoping you'll somehow take a fan or a former player approach to the conference itself. Whenever they finally have Texas and Oklahoma join, 2025. It looks like it's actually going to be the date now. Okay, when, what do you hope happens with the schedule? 
what, do you think it's a pod system? Do you think we stay division to division? We know what the ACC is doing moving forward now. What do you what do you think's best for for the fan or, or the, as a as someone who played in the conference, yeah. not necessarily is currently coaching? Can you separate the two? Yeah, I think there's there's two there's two approaches. One is that you're looking at from a player's experience, wanting to get the players and all the venues and, and over a four year career, give them the chance to play in each arena. Um, and I, and I, I think that's awesome. But to me, as that a, should happen. Yeah. As a fan, what, what I would be most interested in is, is um, however they structure it is just seeing, seeing those yearly games, the ones that aren't going away. And to me that that's where, um, you know, we have to, we have to protect those rivalries. And, and um, that would be what I'm most interested in. The, the, the truth is, that football's fun. You add Texas and Oklahoma into our conference, and you're gonna you're gonna see a lot of really exciting and fun games. And I think from a fan standpoint, you know, I'll I'll show up and watch whoever because yep. it's gonna be two teams that are going at it with uh, with a lot at stake. And you know, um, yeah, sign me up for that. Chad, you want Tennessee and Alabama every uh, every year? Well, and that's that's where it's gonna come down to <laughs> is you know the, uh, the that's one good example. But when you the constant opponent maybe isn't as even as other constant opponents, and then, okay, how do you get through that and then add the other teams in it? Um, I, I think that's, you know, the, the challenge for the schedule maker. But, um, Coach, I've seen 30 different scenarios <laughs> with this, and I, I don't – every time I see a new one, I think, okay, either that's awful or, oh, no, that'll work. Oh, this will also work. Oh, that could work well, too. There's always a wrinkle to it somehow. So how do you – you can control your non-conference schedule. Right. How do you view that process and how you build out the non-conference portion? And do you compare and contrast it with whatever you have in conference that year? Um, well, I mean, I guess the, the nature of things is those non-conference schedules are, it's way are in advance. booked out way in advance. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm working right now on who we're playing in 2053. And, uh, <laughs> and if you have an opinion on that, Would you that, like to announce know. one of those games? Actually, That's, I hear UConn's going to be a national power in 2053. Well, so and, avoid, and, avoid them that year. And we're playing on Mars, too. So <laughs> that'll be exciting. No, I, I, you know, I, the, the scheduling in a lot of ways is, is um, you know, is, is handled. I mean, we, we all have influence and say in that. But, I mean, that, that kind of stuff is, is handled by the administration and, and by the athletic directors and in conjunction with the conference. And so part of the, part of the challenge of the coach is how do I focus all my energy on the things that I have influence over and what I don't, I kind of, you know, let be and speak up when asked, but, um, uh, certainly, um, you know, the, the, the scheduling is fun and where we do have opportunity, I love to give my two cents, but, um, on the whole, I think we're booked out for, for quite a while. What was the self scout like going back and watching your season? As head coach, well, um, I mean, look, it's you know you're re- reliving some some painful moments and and trying to learn from them. Um, we're also celebrating the progress we made, you know, and I think that that's um, you know that's a uh, a skill in and of itself is you know we we're finding that that line of good that that we drew from start to finish where we evolved, felt like we got closer, felt like we got more competitive, felt like we found an identity. Um, and yet we understand that we fell way short of our expectations and, and um, you know, we need, we need dramatic change moving forward. Um, but, you know, you reset yourself uh, and you then shift focus on the team. And what we had coming back was a team that had learned how to care about each other. Um, and football was kind of something we did also. And I, I think through the winter and spring, we really developed our brotherhood around the game. I saw 
a high level of investment. Um, and I saw uh, also, um, you know, the advancement of skill, bigger, faster, stronger through training. Um, and we felt like, um, you know, we, we recruited into that gap too. And so there's a lot of exciting things, but again, for me in the early stage, it's all about like the trajectory and the progress. And, um, sometimes that's elusive when you're, when you have a, a season where you win two games and you falter in the conference. Um, but, uh, you know, that's our job. We got to find those areas where we made improvements, where we're on the right track, where we didn't, we have to shore up, we have to design into those gaps and, uh, and, uh, it's part of the fun. Unless you're the national champion, every season for every team has the what-if moment or moments. Uh, watching your season, Coach, it was at South Carolina for me. And I think it was a big what-if moment, honestly, for your team and for South Carolina's team mm. had they lost that game. And yeah. now Shane Beamer uh, is co-national first-year you know, coach of the year uh, after surviving that game. When you look back on the season, how pivotal was that game and how do you instruct your team about how that all ended moving forward, both how close you were, but also you know how to protect against that now moving forward. Yeah, it's a, the, the line between winning and losing, the, the, the margins are so small. And like you said, um, you know, in those the, the smallest of moments, the season can tip. And you know, I think the biggest lesson for me in that game is um, it w- was around um, well, twofold. One was the you know the 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 third down snap where we're heading in where I felt like we had a good play and we had a good chance and we didn't, we didn't maintain blocks on the perimeter. And so, um, you know, we ended up kicking the field goal and taking a six point lead there. Um, and, and, you know, I've turned that decision around, but in the end I I would do it again. I I feel like, um, as a defensive coach, you know, forcing the team to drive the field to score a touchdown, having the end zone be the barrier, is uh, gives me comfort in that scenario, um, and so I would love to have converted that because I thought the drive offensively um, was exactly what you want a four-minute drive to be. We were we were moving the chains, running the ball, we were draining the clock. They had used their timeouts, and we we are we are close to just kneeling it out and going home. Um, so then you flip, and you know, so you say, okay, we have to learn to play with total effort. We have to learn to capture the first down on that conversion down and, uh, and, and just take the result within our control. Uh, once we, once we kick the field goal, we, we put it in the hands of our defense. And, um, you know, I think the lesson on the two minute drive in return was twofold. One was, um, a lesson around just, just the execution of the defense. It's 11 guys knowing exactly what they're supposed to do. And I, I'm not, I'm not pushing that on to the players. I'm from a coaching standpoint, by the time we're in that situation, we can't have fundamental breakdowns in, in our zone structures that allow for breakout plays. In that situation, the, the only thing that you can't do is allow for chunk gains. You know, if, if, you, if you have check downs to the running back, you're going to win. You're going to tackle the ball in bounds. You're going to win the game. And we just had a couple of fundamental breakdowns on that drive that allowed for chunk gains that, um, that put them in good position. And, um, and, and then, you know, the, the need to be aggressive too. There, you can't just sit back and, and rush three and, and allow a, a quarterback the time to, to dissect down the field. Those were things that we debriefed uh, right in the, the aftermath, uh, but um, great learning moments, painful learning moments, but learning nonetheless. Coach, thank you so much. Yeah. Always a blast to have you in. Come in anytime. Well, next we time, that. like I said, I'm canceling Let's the go. afternoon. We're hanging out. Perfect. Coach Lee, Vandy Football has been our guest on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. We're bridging the gap here before we uh, hit the headlines coming up at 3 o'clock Central. Thanks to all of our uh, stations and partners across the Outkick Network. Extended chat there with Vanderbilt head coach Clark Lee. Here's your leaderboard at the PGA Championship. Justin Thomas, your leader, at 6-under. Will Zalatoris uh, has uh, a birdie early on. And uh, he's through four holes, so he is uh, tied for uh, second, second right now with Abe Answer and uh, Roy McElroy at four under uh, has already bogeyed one of his holes to begin his round. We'll keep you updated on all this. But Tiger um, Woods, by the way, currently sitting at plus four, even through four holes, right on the cut line. He is above the cut line right now at plus four, but that cut line is at plus four. And he teed off on ten yesterday. My guess is he tees off on one today or has, um, and we'll go. You know your traditional route around that course, and it was the front nine, the holes one through nine. So it was the back nine for him yesterday, the second nine, uh, where he bogeyed and and had just a miserable performance towards the, the the stretch run. Other notable name, John Daly, currently above the cut line, plus three for the tournament in the clubhouse. Wow. Amazing, John Daly. Does the Hooters do the Hooters girls follow him to the PGA? He was photographed in a casino last night with a cigarette in his mouth after his first round. When has he not been photographed with a cigarette in his mouth? Not since 1986. (laughs) Coming up, uh, man, A.J. Brown's at it again. Details on the former Titans wide receiver.